but we're talking about enemies of the heart and uh, basically just breaking down some of the, the things that can get tucked away and hidden in our heart, sort of like little seeds that can get planted. And unfortunately, over time, as seeds remain in darkness uh, in our heart, from a scriptural perspective, we know that they can grow and grow and grow and oftentimes turn into monsters and, and can create and wreak havoc within our lives and within relationships that we know. And so last Sunday, we looked uh, specifically at a statement by Jesus in which he said that all of life, basically, uh, everything that comes out of our mouth, uh, the things that we do, comes from our heart. And so in Matthew, I've got it here on the screen, Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, we look specifically at that uh, passage in which Jesus says, the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And we're a little bit um, in bewilderment at that statement as we read that passage a lot of times, because he goes on, he says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. And we think to ourselves, I thought evil thoughts came from my brain. I thought that was from my head. And he says, no, that comes from your heart. Those things that are there, they come from your heart. Those moments where we think that we're living life and everything's going well, and all of a sudden we, we say something and, and we go, oh, I can't believe I just said that. Jesus would say, I can believe you said it. It came from your heart. And we'd say, oh, where did that come from? It's so not me. Jesus would say, I know where it comes from. It comes from your heart. And I, don't, I can't imagine why I did that. I don't know what came over me. Jesus would say, I know. It comes from your heart. And he goes on here. He says, not only the evil thoughts, but he even says the murder, adultery, Sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, all of this stuff, these things that we do, the things that we say, and for most of us sitting in this room, we hear some of that and we're thinking, how in the world could someone move to the point of murder? I mean, we might understand, we might give credence to evil thoughts every now and then, but even to move into murder, and this is why it's so important, why we're talking about what we're talking about over the next couple of weeks, because those little thoughts... Those little seeds that are planted in our hearts sometimes can turn into monsters that we never dreamed we'd be capable of doing. And so we've got to expose that. We've got to talk about that. We've got to prepare ourselves for it. Because for most of us, we've grown up with what's known as behavior modification. I gave the example last Sunday how my parents taught me not to say the word darn, that four-letter D word, D-A-R-N, darn, that's a bad word, because that was so close to the other bad D word, you know. And, uh, and so we never wanted to say that. And, and so mom and dad taught us these are certain things you can't say or shouldn't say. These are certain things you shouldn't say or do. And so we learn through behavior modification to sort of put a filter over our mouth or a filter over our life because there are certain things we shouldn't say or do if we want to do well in home or at school or if we want to get a date or if we want to keep a date, right? Or if we want to find a spouse or get a job or keep a job. So we learn through behavior modification. But the problem is what most of us have learned is as the pressures of life squeeze in on us, as we get a little bit older even times, is that that filter begins to wear down. And there's those moments that we have in life where somebody pushes us too far, they push some buttons or something happens, and we break through the filter. And we're like, oh, it's a Jekyll and Hyde moment, right? That is so not me. I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I just said that. And Jesus says, I can. And it came from your heart. It's because that behavior modification system that we've all learned is going to fail you. And scripture tells us there's a different way, there's something else that we've got to do if we want to live our lives with a pure heart. If we want to live our lives in truly following Christ. Matter of fact, Solomon, one of the wisest men who've ever lived, he taught us on 
all kinds of things about, um, he taught about money, about marriage, about relationships, about leadership, and all of these things. And I gave you this verse last week. It's from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. A powerful verse over the next couple of weeks. If you would, just take some time to focus on this passage because it's huge. And here's what Solomon says. He says, above all else, above everything else that I've taught, the wisest man that's ever lived. I mean, I think this is pretty important. He says, above all else. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Why? Because it's the wellspring of life. Why is it we spend all of our time as moms and dads and even as as church people, as religious leaders, teaching people to guard their behavior? It seems that's the case, isn't it? And yet scripture tells us to guard our heart, to monitor our heart, because God knew that our behavior modification system would fail us. It's not enough just to monitor our behavior. We've got to go so much further than that. We have to learn to monitor our hearts. How do we do that? How do we, how do we stand guard at our heart? How do, we, how do we notice what's coming in and learn to protect what's coming into our heart and even to our kids' hearts? How do we learn and how do we teach ourselves and our kids to, to monitor what's already inside So that if we see things that we know aren't like us, those Jekyll and Hyde moments or other people are trying to speak truth in our lives, we say, you know what, there's something there. How do we do that? How do we monitor our hearts? And so for the next uh, couple of weeks, what I'd like to do is I want to spend some time focusing on four specific things. Now, I was talking to to Brother Jeff just earlier, Jeff uh, Caldwell, who who leads... um, um, a ministry here, a counseling ministry is incredible, and, and I, we were talking about this. I talked to Jeff before I kicked off this series, and one of the things that he mentioned to me is, you know, you could, this could go on for weeks, I mean, because there's so many little monsters that we sometimes hold within our hearts, but we're going to focus on four, and today I'm just going to give you one of them. We're going to spend some time there just looking at that, because what you're going to begin to see is that time and time again, Scripture tells us those things we hide in our heart can grow and grow and grow and have devastating effects on our life and in particular, on our relationships. Now, one of the things I want to use to help illustrate this, and I think this is wonderful. I first heard this from Pastor Andy Stanley and talking about some of these things that we harbor or hide within our heart. And he talked about the fact that these four things can be represented in a debt-debtor relationship. In other words, if you've ever borrowed money, you understand that there is now kind of this offset, this off-balance in a relationship because we have the debt towards the debtor. You owe something to this person, right? And so if you've ever borrowed money from someone, a few months later you're back around that person, what do you talk about? Anything but the loan, right? You're going to talk about the weather, you're going to talk about sports, especially if you borrowed from your in-laws. It's going to be any of those kind of things, okay? Because you want to avoid that, but there's this sense that our relationship now is skewed. It's a debt-to-debt relationship. We even have terminology uh, that we use to, to talk about this because we'll say we, we owe them something, right? We're, we're in debt to them, and uh, we're indebted to that particular person. And so there's this debt-debtor relationship. And so as I talk about these four things, they're all going to apply to that type of relationship and how we have this feeling that we owe someone something. And today what I want to speak about is I just want to talk to you about the word guilt, the word guilt. Some of you are like, oh, great, what a wonderful Sunday to come on. Now I feel guilty about coming, okay? And so uh, you guys all know what guilt is. You felt guilt. Guilt can actually be a healthy thing at times. can help, um, help us understand that there is a hard issue going on, but guilt can also be unhealthy. Uh, matter of fact, let me just say this from a, uh, from a pastoral perspective. Some of you have grown up in an environment in which um, 
without guilt, you would never come to church. Some of you have grown up in an environment where, where in church you felt that guilt was leveraged quite a bit. That guilt was used as a leveraging tool. Uh, and and here's, here's what I want you to understand. As you read through the New Testament, as you study God's Word, Jesus never leveraged guilt. He never leveraged that. And some of you are thinking to yourself, man, I, I dealt with church. I, if I needed to... You know, if I needed to ha take a blow to my self-esteem or feel bad about myself or feel guilty about myself, I could just go play golf and feel bad, right? And, and I don't need a preacher to tell me, you know, those kind of things. And, and then they pass the plate and then I feel guilty. It's like I'm paying for my guilt, you know, when I'm at church. It's just kind of this weird thing. So for some of you, maybe you haven't been in church a long time because of the leveraging of guilt that you sensed within a church environment. And again, let me just say from a pastoral perspective, if that's the case, I apologize because Jesus never leveraged guilt. And he could have. If anyone could have leveraged guilt, it would have been Jesus. Because he knew the hearts of everyone that he's seen, right? He could have walked down the road and he could have said, oh, guilty, 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 loser. You blew it, you know. He could have because he knew the hearts of everybody. Oh, sorry, I wasn't pointing at you guys. Sorry, over there. Um, he could have done that. But he didn't. He knew the hearts of man. And check this out. In Romans chapter 2, scripture tells us, that it's, it's God's kindness. It's the kindness, kindness of, of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's, it's not his leveraging of guilt, but it's his kindness, his loving kindness and his grace that leads us to repentance. And here's the thing. Back to the message. Guilt basically says, I owe you. Guilt creates this offset, this offset relationship in which it says, I owe you. I am now in debt to you. I have lied to you. I have stolen from you. I have taken something. I, I have offended you. I have done something. Okay? And so I owe you. I owe you this. Matter of fact, that's what we'll say when we go to people, right? When we know there's someone that we've offended and we want to go and we want to want to make it right, what do we say? We say, we owe you an apology. Or we might even say, let me make it up to you, right? We want to make it right because we know deep down inside when there's guilt within our heart, we know we've messed up, we've offended people, that we owe them, that we need to make that, that process right because there's this debt-debtor relationship. Now, here's the thing. A lot of times when we, um, we don't understand, but is very, very true, when we lie to someone, we offend someone, we hurt someone's feelings, it's sort of like... We have a backpack as part of our life, and so we go through life, we offend someone, we hurt them, and we put that weight within our life, and we don't deal with the weight. We don't deal with the issue. And so we carry the guilt around in our life, and it's there, and we sort of ignore it, we sort of get used to it, and we have it there in our life, and we just carry it around. And it's just there, and it's sort of like this weight that we carry, Right? And if you've ever been in a situation where, where you know you've wronged someone and you finally go to that person and you do that, that, that thing that's so difficult for us because we never want to admit that we're wrong, we never want to admit that we've made a mistake, right? But everybody does. We all know that. No one's perfect. And so we go to that person, we say we're sorry, right? We apologize. What happens? We say, oh, it feels like a weight, if I can get that off, has been lifted off my back, Right? Have you ever done that? Have you ever experienced that? It's sort of like it's just it's this freeing thing that takes place. Now here's the problem and here's the pushback a lot of times that we don't understand. And here's where I think sometimes the enemy loves 
just to, to kind of get us to, I don't know, just to accept how we are. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, that's just how I am? You know, they, they're just, they're, they're messed up in relationships. Oh, that's just how they are. No, there's something going on in their heart. Because the problem is when you're carrying something on your back, you don't see it. And so maybe it's through pride or, or we just get used to carrying it, whatever it might be. We just go through life with all the pain and the suffering, the, the things that we've done. Because when we, when we lie, when we cheat, when we offend people, we do things against those people, there's this debt-debtor relationship. And so we go through life with guilt. And guilty people have a hard time having solid, good, healthy relationships. Here's the other thing. The problems or the issues that we have in college, the mistakes that we have in high school, college, or in young adult life, guess what? If you don't deal with it, if there's unresolved guilt, you've not settled it in your heart, you carry that into your marriage, you carry that into your neighborhood and the relationships with your neighbors, you carry that into your church and the relationship with your pastor or your pastoral staff or, or with your life group, or you carry it into your marriage and, and your, your job, whatever it might be, it goes into every relationship in your life. And this is why it's so important for us to sort of pull out the knife and let God whittle at our hearts from time to time. Because we need God to expose those moments, those things in our life where we've messed up, we've made a mistake, and yet we've not gone back and made restitution. We've not dealt with it in the way that we should have. And so thus we're carrying around this backpack and it's affecting everything that we do in our lives because it's impossible for us to see the weight that we're carrying on our back especially if we've been carrying it for a long time now here's the deal someone who's carrying around a lot of unresolved uh, guilt that person typically has another issue it's called anger guilt creates anger do you know why do you know who they're angry at themselves because I've let myself down I have blown it. I'm not the person I was supposed to be. I'm not the husband or the man I was supposed to be. Uh, I'm not the person I promised to be. And so there's a little bit of angry and there's anger and there's a little bit of resentment there for people who are carrying guilt deep within their heart. Listen, it's almost impossible to please a person, a man or a woman who's carrying a load of guilt. Have you ever been around a person who it was just impossible to please them? You just couldn't live up to their expectations? There was nothing you could do to sort of make that right? And maybe that person would say, well, I'm just a perfectionist. No. No, there's, there's something going on inside of their heart typically. And they're just making excuses or they're ignoring it. Because the truth of the matter is, when you carried it long enough, you just want to believe that it's going to go away and that it's not going to affect you or who you are or any of your relationships. And the sad thing is that's the choice a lot of people make. That's the choice a lot of us make. But here's the deal. Here's what I want to get to. There are only two options with guilt. There's only two options in dealing with guilt in your life. And the first one is this. You can repay the debt. You can repay what you owe. Repay the debt to the person that you've offended. And I understand for some of you are like, Joe, that is so hard. I mean, like, how do I repay the years that I've missed with my kids? How do I repay a broken marriage? How do I repay a destroyed reputation that I destroyed? How do I repay that? But the truth of the matter is the only way to deal with biblically with guilt and to get rid of it to bring that healing into your heart is to ask the person that you've wronged to cancel your debt 
to ask the person that you've wronged to cancel your debt. Now, here's the thing. To ask someone to cancel your debt or to deal with guilt, guilt in that way, it takes something that I think is often misunderstood, and that's called confession. And confession, again, it's not always easy to us because we don't like to admit that we're wrong. And I think we've kind of grown up in this, this culture that thinks there's certain, a certain way to confess. But the truth is, confession breaks the power of guilt. It's confession that can break the power of guilt. And here's the thing, we've grown up in a culture and a religious environment in which we think that we just simply need to confess to God. That if we confess to God, I'll feel better about myself. And so we oftentimes, we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm sorry, you know, I, I've lied to her seven times. Lord, oh, wait, wait, Lord, that's eight times. Now I've lied eight times. Oh, hold on a second, Lord, that's, that's 10, 11. And, and see, the problem is, when we're not confessing in the proper biblical way, we think we're doing right and we may feel a little bit of relief uh, for the issues or the guilt in our life, but we eventually just pick up that bag again, that backpack, and we put it in our lives and we continue to bring harm and damage in our life because we've not dealt with guilt in the proper way. Confession destroys the power of guilt. And so if you were raised Catholic, you were raised, it's, it's you know, just to go and to confess to the priest. If you were raised in a, a Protestant environment, you maybe have, were raised in that process of just going and, and confessing to the pastor. And so we'll go to the pastor, we'll go to the priest, and we'll just lay it out there, everything in high school and college, all the issues we've done. And we feel better for a little while. And then we pick the backpack back up. And we seem to follow right back into those issues. You see, the Bible teaches that confession is not primarily about telling God about things you've done that he already knows about. But it's about telling the people that you've offended and that you've done wrong against and seeking forgiveness from them. That's part of the process, and that's where it's difficult for us. But that's what God's Word teaches. If you look in Scripture, matter of fact, one of the first examples uh, of confession and making things right with people is found in Numbers chapter 5, verse 5 and, uh, through 7. And it says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel. When a man or woman commits any of these sins of mankind, that is, sinning against each other, acting unfaithfully against the Lord, and that person is guilty then he shall confess his sins which he's committed, and he shall make, what, restitution in full for his wrong, and add to it one-fifth of it, and give it to the person, give it to him who is wrong. So he's to go to that person and not just pay back what he's wrong, but even more than that, 20% more. That's what God is saying. In Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 19, we've got another wonderful example, and most of you have heard this story about Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, and when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree, and he said, oh, some of you are quick, thank you. He said, Zacchaeus, you come down, right? For I'm going to your house today. I'll spare you of that. Okay, and that's what he said. It's an incredible story, but Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a crooked tax collector, and he was continually stealing money from people, overtaxing for the Roman, uh, in, in the name of the Roman government. And so Jesus comes to his house, and Zacchaeus has a life-changing moment in which he realizes that Christ is the Savior, and he realizes that he's done wrong. And just like Liz said in the video, he had that moment in his home when Jesus was there, when he believed. And he said, I'm going to follow him. 
I'm going to follow Christ. And then he says, he said, all the people that I've wronged, I'm going to make it right to these people. And I'm going to pay them back four times as much. Four times as much. Now, it's interesting what Jesus says in response to that. Jesus didn't say, no, Zacchaeus, take a chill pill, buddy. Here's, just tell me about it. You don't have to pay back anybody. He doesn't do any of that. What's the Lord say? The Lord says, today, salvation has come to this house. Because he saw the heart of Zacchaeus. And he saw his willingness to stand and to admit his wrong to the people that he had wronged. And his willingness to pay restitution even four times above what he'd stolen. To make it right. Matthew chapter 5, we have an example in which Jesus basically is teaching, if you go into the temple to give an offering, and you realize while you're there in the temple that you've got something against your brother, he says, tie up your offering or leave it at the altar and go make it right with your brother first, then come back. And we'd say, wait a second, wait a second, Joe, aren't we supposed to make it right with the Lord first? And I believe God would say, I already know. I was there when you did it. I seen you do that act. I know what you did. Go make it right to that person. Then come and make it right here and give your offering. That's what scripture's teaching. You see, when there's something wrong on the inside, in your heart, the one way that you bring full healing in your heart is to go to the people on the outside that you've wronged. It's to go to those people. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Now, this is just right there. I mean, this is as plain as can be. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. So that you can bring healing into your heart. So that those little seeds, those little monsters that sometimes get, get planted when we lie and when we cheat and when we steal and when we offend someone and we do something to, to destroy someone's reputation and we bring them down because we don't feel good about ourselves, we're carrying around guilt, we're carrying around anger, we continue to harm relationships. Jesus says, listen, if you want to get rid of it, if you want healing in your heart, the tough thing to do is don't only tell me about it, but go to that person. And make it right. Go to that person. Guys, let me just say this. So often, we think the goal of confession is a clear conscience. It's not a clear conscience. That's what we think. That's a misconception. The goal of confession isn't simply a clear conscience. And let me just say this. For some of us, we just want to feel better about things. So we, that's why we go and we tell God we just want to feel better Sins that you only confess to God, this is big, I want you to get this. Sins that you only confess to God, sins against other people that you only confess to God, you tend to repeat. Isn't that true in your life? The sins that you commit against other people that you only confess to God, you tend to repeat over and over and over again. Guys, the goal of confession isn't just a clean conscience. The goal of confession is a cleaned life. It's a cleaned life. And you and I, we live from our heart. And so you've got to confess in such a way that impacts your heart, that drives you to that point so that the Lord can whittle out that seed, that monster that's been planted, and so that healing can begin. 
so many of us would sit here, and maybe this is where you're at right now. You're sitting there and you're thinking, Joe, because because I understand some seeds could be little. I mean, for some of you, you're, you're young, and it may maybe you've told a lie or you've you've misrepresented yourself. There's something, but it's small to you. But for some of you, you may be sitting there right now thinking, Joe, you have no idea how complicated my mess is. And I love Zacchaeus, and I love these Bible verses. But if I go to my spouse, if I go to my boss, it's going to bring hurt. Listen, I want to tell you something. Confession doesn't hurt people. Sin hurts people. Did you get that? Sin destroys relationship. And concealment of sin destroys relationships. We've got to deal with it in a biblical way. We've got to deal with it in a proper way. And for so many of us, we're like, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. And it may be right at first, but listen to me. Please get this. That's where the healing begins. That's where the healing begins. That's where it's going to start. See, check this out. Confession, the consequences of confession are tangible. I get that. Most of you get that. The consequences are usually immediate. When you sit down and you tell a loved one or a family member or a neighbor that you stole from them or you lied to them, there's going to be some immediate consequences. It's going to be tough. There may be some crying, right? You may get slapped in the face. I mean, who knows, right? There's going to be some immediate consequences. And the consequences are going to impact a handful of people. So many of us go through life refusing to confess because we think it's best to live with concealment. Because we haven't considered the consequences of concealment. Check this out. The consequences of concealment are intangible. They're non-tangible. The consequences typically impact every close relationship you'll have in your life. If you're carrying stuff from college that you've, you've not dealt with or from, you know, whatever. Your last job, last month. It's going to affect every relationship you have from that point on. And consequences can drag out all the way throughout a lifetime. Guys, listen, life's too short to live with that. And I understand, I get it, that the immediate pain, it may seem like that's a huge deal to you. Confession doesn't hurt people. Sin hurts people. And for those people that you love, they probably already know something's going on. They probably already know. I mean, the hurts probably already began there. Let the healing begin. And so let me just give you very quickly here a a, a three-step process that can help bring some healing in this. And I get it. This whittling process may be tough, but I believe it's biblical. I believe it's what God's Word is teaching us to do. The first thing is this. Step number one would be to confess to God and then confess to someone else, a person, someone you can trust. Because you're going to need God's help You need his forgiveness, you need his help, but you also are going to need some accountability. So go to someone you love, someone you trust, and tell them so that they can hold you accountable because you're going to need that for step number two. Because step number two is go to the person that you've wronged. Go to that person. Talk to them. Let them know what you've done. Get it in the open. And then thirdly, make restitution. Make it right. If you can, and I understand in all situations you can't, I mean, for some of this, some of you are going to have to go back several years. And it's a process. It's going to take some time. But start the process. Because here's the deal. It all begins with us. Sort of like the song we sang before the message. 
saying, Lord, here's my heart. And it may be this morning for you, it's, it's God, I don't know what I have in my backpack. If there's something there, would you show me? Because I don't want to live my life with messed up relationships. I don't want to live my life with this debt-to-debtor thing. I don't want to live my life always, always wondering about people and never being truly open and honest in, in, in my building of my relationships. God, I want to live my life honoring you. So show me. It may be that some of you are here this morning and it's, you're not even sure why God brought you here, but you know, like Liz was talking about, there's been people and circumstances lining up in your life in which God has been bringing you to this place. And you've never made a, a life-changing decision, even like Zacchaeus, and believed Christ to be your Savior and trusted Him to forgive you. Listen, it's not about us trying to leverage guilt into your life. It's about God, through his loving kindness, trying to bring you to repentance. And that may be where you are this morning, simply to say, Lord, here's my heart. Would you bring forgiveness? Would you bring healing? I trust you. And that may be where you're at this morning. For the others of you, it may be a little seed of guilt. You know you've hurt someone. You know you've wronged someone. It may be a big seed of guilt. It may have been there for a while and growing to be a monster. And you know it's there. And God would want you to deal with it. He would want you to take care of it this morning. So here's what I'm going to do. I know that's heavy stuff. That's not, that's not like a pocket knife, man. That's like a machete for some of you. I understand that. It's like that for me. I've, I, I live that. I get that. But guys, God is not settled to leave you where you're at. He loves you way too much. He wants you to grow and to flourish to love and to have healthy relationships and part of it we've got to understand starts from our heart because we live from our heart and he wants to bring healing into your heart today so I'm going to ask you to stand I'm going to pray with you and as you stand just every head bowed and every eye closed let me just ask you a couple of questions before